Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the JMO Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Michaels. Our guest this week, we've got Scott Mockentune back on the show. Scott works in the fisheries department over at the Minnesota DNR. Uh, we've had Scott on before. You know, his his experience, his, his, his job, we typically try to attack the, uh, you know, the science-y side of things. We try to attack some biology in conversations with Scott. And this is no different, but... You know, I like to I like to just point out that I really enjoy talking to Scott, not just because of his knowledge and work experience, but also because he's just a born and raised angler and he really knows how to make all the information work and relate to, you know, the layperson like myself. You know, and and I have questions about, you know, this this podcast topic is fall turnover, and you know, for this time of year, big portions of the Midwest have probably already gone through some turnover. Uh, or are already through it or are experiencing it right now um and you know when i thought about this show and and talking to scott my big motivation here is that i feel like you know maybe i'm i'm guilty definitely the you know if you watch youtube you listen to podcasts you know you're, you're consuming content fall fishing is really glorified or you know just really talked about being an underappreciated opportunity a lot of people you know uh you know understandably fall gets busy for a lot of anglers you can be an avid angler all spring and all summer and then fall comes and we got a lot to do and so um you know not everybody's out there in the fall and and and, you know we're getting talked into it by all this content all these conversations all these podcasts we're getting talked into how great fall fishing is and then maybe we set that time aside or we don't don't winterize the boat just yet and we and we hold out for one more weekend of good fishing out on our home body of water we go out there and it's terrible where we go out there and it's really, really tough. What happened? Why did everybody say that this was so good? And, you know, that there's those portions of the of the fall, you know, that revolve around that turnover that really stir things up and make things, you know, a challenge to, to be on and find those fish again. Maybe they scatter out. There's all those variables. And that's what we're going to talk about. Talking about the ecosystem. We're talking about the lake. We're talking about turnover and what that all means. So let's get into it here. We got Scott Mockintune, Fall Turnover. Let's do it. This podcast is brought to you by Northland Fishing Tackle. Northland is a brand you can trust. Since the beginning, they've been creating innovative lure designs made of high-quality components. Most importantly, when you buy fishing tackle that says Northland on the package, you can rest assured it is designed for one thing and one thing only, and that is catching fish. To check out more of what they got, head to their website, northlandtackle.com. That link is in the description of this podcast. If you want to enjoy all the abundant fishing and hunting opportunities that Northeast South Dakota has to offer, there's no better place to stay than at Roy Lake State Park. Come shoot your limit of ducks or pheasants, then hit the lake and catch you a limit of walleyes all in a day. Roy Lake State Park provides both modern cabins and suites with all the comforts of home at a reasonable price. Go to GoOutdoorSouthDakota.com to reserve your fall hunting and fishing destination. This episode of the JMO Podcast is brought to you by the CT360 from Brew City. The CT360 is a low-profile, heavy-duty pole mounting system made specifically for forward-facing sonar. The usability, the ease of installation, the CT360 can be installed on a rail, on a track system, it can be fastened right to the gunnel, and the durability made out of nothing but high-quality materials is what sets the CT360 apart for Brew City. For more information, head to brewcitytms.com. That link is in the description of this podcast. 
and let's dig right into it. Fall turnover, man. Like, give me sort of the big picture. Give me the description of it. And then let's kind of narrow it down and, and, and kind of hit some specific points that make it interesting if we can, man. Go ahead. Yeah, you bet. No, it's uh, it's it's an important pattern for anglers to really tune into, uh, be aware of, have a good understanding. Um, you know, we're anglers are are going through the the seasonal pattern of change through of fish behavior, where you're expecting to find these fish at certain times of year, and that's keyed into their behavior. It's keyed into their life history. It's com- it's keyed into their in their DNA and how they're set up. So when we think about the fall and I'm, you know, we're going to talk about lake fishing uh, primarily, it's understanding how these lakes set up. So uh, I work in the state of Minnesota. I fish kind of all over and we're blessed here. The land of 10,000 lakes. We've got all these lakes out there. First thing people need to understand is this idea of where we're at in the season and the pattern, how these things set up. So start off with to, to understand the fall pattern, you need to know the summer pattern and that for a lot of our lakes, if they're deeper than 15 or 20 feet uh, and they uh, you know, if they, if they're not irregularly shaped uh, or have a lot of wind exposure, they're going to stratify. They are going to set up in a series of layers. That top layer is the epilimnion. That's that warm water that you see throughout the summer. Um, we had really, really warm summer in the upper Midwest here. Uh, boy, it was like the fifth or sixth warmest on record. And uh, September was our warmest on record ever, I believe, that we just went through here, September of 2023. And our summer period sort of extended for a long time. That upper layer of water, that epilimnion, was very warm. And we, you, you just, you see it, right? For folks that are out fishing, you got your transducer hooked up to your boat, you're driving around and you know, peak of summer, July, August, you're probably seeing, you know, mid to upper 70s in places unless you're on huge, deep, you know, Canadian Shield lakes or out on Lake Superior. You have pretty warm water temperatures this year. So you have to imagine that there's this huge upper layer that's got this warm water. And that's also where the oxygen is. Why is that? Well, you got to think, too, the, about where the photic zone is, where the light penetrates how far it can go down into the water and then where the the extent of that light is is where plant growth can take place rooted plants they're photosynthesizing putting out oxygen so those are uh, uh kind of a biological and and basic setup for why that upper layer of water is the warmest and it holds the most oxygen then we get into that middle layer anglers love talking about the thermocline right also called the metalimnion that's where sometimes on your graph, if you're down viewing or you're traveling around and you see that line that sort of sets up, it's actually a density breakdown. Your sonar, if it's sensitive enough, will sometimes pick up on that. You can sometimes graph out where that thermocline is. If you don't have that sensitive of a graph and you want to invest uh, in a piece of technology that is very useful uh, for looking at exactly where your stratification layer is set up, uh, there's a there's a company called Fishhawk here in Minnesota. They make a product called the Fishhawk TD. You attach it to your line, you send it down, and it'll take a depth reading every five feet, and it will give you a temperature breakdown. And you'll see this steady warm temperatures. And when you go down to that thermocline or metalimnion, you're going to see that rapid change that occurs. That's where we're moving from warm water to cold water. And then after that middle layer, metalimnion or thermocline, we're down to the hypolimnion. That is the cold 
big pool of water, you know, if you're up in the boundary waters with your buddies and you, you know, you want to sink your, your plastic beer bottles for the night to cool them off or put your fish out, uh, to, to stay in the uh, refrigerator, so to speak, you're setting it down into that hypolemnion where it's nice cold water. But the trade-off is there isn't oxygen available down there. So that's our summer stratification. That's how those lakes are setting up. And it's important to think about those three layers as we're coming into the fall. So now we get into the fall and what's happening? Our days are getting shorter. They have been since the 21st of June, ever since the summer solstice. Our days are getting shorter. Our nights are getting colder. We're feeling that nip in the air. And every night it's getting a little bit colder and it's cooling off uh, those, those surface temperatures and the water. You're noticing it as you're, as you're fishing throughout the summer and into the fall period that those surface temperatures are coming down. What's actually happening is that cold air at night is cooling that water. Sometimes you're out there, if you're, if you're fishing at night and uh, you're seeing the fog rolling over the water, right? That means the water is actually warmer than what the air temperature is. And that cooling effect is happening and you're seeing that fog on the water. Well, those, those nights are cooling things down. And we're dropping temperature. And here's the interesting thing with water is we're actually changing the density of that water. As that water cools, it becomes more dense and it sinks. So we have this effect of that upper layer of water in the epilimnion getting cooled, sinking down, breaking through that metalimnion and going down into the hypolimnion. Now it still is much warmer water than what's down in that hypolimnion. So there's a balancing effect that's going on. We're sending this cold water down. It's displacing uh, that other colder water. It's warming it just a little bit, maybe sending some up. This is a gradual process that's occurring. So we're, we're slowly shrinking that gradient difference in temperature we're shrinking down that band of the metalimnion, that thermocline, and we're cooling off our upper layer. We're warming our lower layer. This continues to happen through September. And then what do we see? If you're an avid duck hunter, you know we get those big blows, right? We get those big wind systems. We're in the shoulder seasons where the, there's a lot more weather instability as we have clashing of warm air and cold air and where pressure changes and we get those big blows. We get the wind. The wind a lot of times is what is really setting off a turnover event because not only are we cooling that water and sending it down, but we're ultimately breaking everything apart with that wind and wave action that will completely break apart uh, that metalimnion. And usually when you're getting down below 60 could be the upper 50s i'm talking fahrenheit um you know to, to mid 50 50 degree water that's where you're getting close and you're actually seeing that lake start to flip and what you'll see if you're you're john q public john q angler you're out there fishing you're whether you're doing it on weekends or you're the daily angler one you're going to see those differences take effect on your graph uh you know with your transducer temperature reading but the other thing you're going to see uh, is if you are paying attention, you're going to actually see a, a change to that water. It's it's a lot of times when you go through the full flip and you you complete your turnover, you're going to see more turbidity. There's going to actually be that physical movement of the water 
switching, you know, flipping basically top to bottom, bottom to top. And that flipping activity will a lot of times kind of dislodge some, some sediment, maybe uh, uh, stir things up a little bit. And you'll sometimes you'll get this kind of a pungent smell because the, the decaying organic materials on the bottom of the lake and the gases that are building up are flipping as well. So you can a lot of times see this manifestation in the water where it changes. Uh, and I'll tell you, you know, just talking about fishing patterns, I'm just going to put pause on, on how our turnover is progressing here as we went through the mechanisms of it. Your fishing is is just getting better and better, right? As, as August goes into September and the days get longer, we go along, the fishing just gets incredible, right? You know, we're pushing up shallow. Many times these fish are really vulnerable. It's just like a spring period all over again, moving in reverse, right? That fishing gets really hot up shallow again. The bite is really on. The feed bag is on. You've dialed into a really nice pattern. You're starting to figure out where these fish are hanging. That turnover is like throwing a monkey wrench in the whole thing for about yeah. a couple of days. It really shuts down fishing because those fish have to get completely readjusted. You, you sound like you've experienced that, Taylor. Well, yeah, like that, and you know, like the conversations I have on this pod, that, like having you on is like, like uh, it's kind of important for me because I feel like all the fall shows that I do, we talk about how, how great it is and how sought after the opportunities are in the fall because you know, uh, and you and I have talked about this before. It's like, and everybody understands this. Like the hardcore anglers stay out; they fish the fall because the fish are hungry and the fishing is great. A big part of that is the fact that participation slows up, right? Like everybody gets back to real life after the summer. Kids go to school, uh, hunting seasons, you know, a lot of avid outdoorsmen in the Midwest, you and I included. It's like you got a timeshare with your other hobbies now. And, um, and you know, so like fall fishing, there's a million reasons to love fall fishing. But I feel like I don't talk enough about some of the tricky stuff. And there's there's definitely a flavor to fall fishing. And um, you know, like Jason, when I have Jason on talk fall fishing, he probably does it the best for me when he says, you know, the, the pattern in the fall for, for, you know, a portion of it is that there is no pattern. The pattern is there is no pattern and you gotta be a chameleon. You gotta look here and there. And, and he's told all kinds of stories about where he's been and, and what he does to be successful in that scenario. But we never really dig into sort of the science behind it because it's like, you know, we talk about, in the, the summer patterns and these fish will set up and I like, you know, it, it's, it's a great point. If you don't have the technology to figure out where a thermocline is on lakes that have one or lakes that set up that way, um, that can be a tremendous, uh, you know, little piece of data to find the bite. I mean, again, going back to everything we talk about on this show, like all those little pieces of the puzzle matter in that summertime, but we talk about, how much food they have available to them. Fish are hungry, but they have food available to them. Like, and then we talk about the fall fishing. Like, my question to you is having you on to explain the things that we don't talk about as anglers, maybe because we don't know as well, but like, what is it that we go from summer when they have too much food to deal with, and then in the fall when they'll bite our lures again? No, no, absolutely. And Jason uh, really summed it up well to, to talk about, uh, you know, the, the, the pattern being no pattern and trying to figure it out and being the chameleon, because that, that is a very good adaptive approach. 
Um, but yeah, the, the, you know, just to say, you know, pick, pick it back up and we'll talk, you know, definitely talk about a couple of those elements that you've, you've hit on, but pick it back up to say, you know, it's a tough, tough situation in those couple of days where the pattern, where the, where the turnover and the, and the flipping of the lake take place. And you kind of have to just, you know, put your head down, grit your teeth and, and get through it. Uh, but then it gets a little bit easier. You can kind of move into that pattern. And ultimately, you know, I was talking water temps. If we're in that 55 or fifth, sometimes it might not happen till low fifties, but usually in that to low to mid 50 temperature range, even sometimes in the upper fifties, that flip will happen. And you'll see those water temperatures be exactly the same from the top of the lake all the way down. And they'll stay that way all the way till freeze up. It will drop consistently. It'll go from 50 or 55 and it'll go all the way down to about 39. Um, water is most dense at, at 39 Fahrenheit. Uh, cool off a little bit more than that and then eventually we're, we're making ice. But yeah, that flip, what that flip does with equalizing of temperature is it makes it a whole new ball game. Remember folks, we don't have that stratification anymore. We don't have an oxygen limitation anymore. We can find those fish in one foot of water, or we can find those fish down in 50 feet of water. And that is a, that is a game changer. So that's where trying to figure that pattern out becomes so important. It's, it's trying to put as many things in your favor as you can, knowing the layout of the lake, knowing what the forage base is, where you might run into some of these fish, because you've got to do a lot of search fishing or you, or utilize your electronics to locate these fish and put it together. Cause at that point, post turnover, they can be about anywhere, you know, early on pre turnover that early fall period, they're moving up shallow fishing's dynamite. Then you got to resettle into where am I going to find these fish? And uh, yeah, we can talk about fall prey items, but I wanted to see if there's anything else that we should, that I, that I missed there. Yeah, no, no, you're spot on. And I love it. I like getting those explanations because it's like in our brains, we're trying to, you know, we're putting the puzzle together. Then the, the the puzzle, when it's put together, equals we figure out the fishing that day or whatever. But like, you know, so many of us, we got to make it work with, you know, not all the pieces. We're never going to learn all the pieces in a day or whatever. And so sometimes, you know, like your explanations right there can be the missing link for somebody in a certain situation. They might have kind of a lot of it figured out, but they're just not checking a box. They're not checking shallow enough, I think is definitely a thing in the fall. Um, you know, this is the big, dumb, big picture question of like, how come they're tight lipped in the summer and then they want to bite our lures again in the fall? Like what's going on? So I would, I would put it to you this way. We, we talked about how those lakes are stratified and we know that we have confinement we have those fish where there's available oxygen, where they, their habitat requirements are met. And so on these stratified lakes, you know, we really can't go deeper than wherever the oxygen cuts out, wherever we drop into the hypolimian. So those fish are keyed in on those prey items. And once we've gone through the, the spawn in the spring for most, most prey uh, forage species, there's a new crop out there and they're chasing those fish around and everybody knows the bite gets tougher, you know, at that, from that point, the, the late spring, early summer pattern is just dynamite. But once those, those, you know, new crop of forage comes in, it gets a lot tougher because at that point for a lot of those fish, depending on the productivity of uh, the lake you're fishing in, in some places they're 
they can swim with their mouth open, you know, figuratively. Yeah, it's like the bait is in a pen. It's like the bait is trapped. Exactly. So it it definitely does get tough. I mean, there's just that level of satiation where they're full. I mean, we we have on our large lakes in Minnesota uh, indexing of forage populations. And then we have an ongoing creel angler surveys at the same time. And typically there's some level of tracking there like, hey, it's a great year for hatching perch or we've got a great year classes of young uh, tulabies or ciscos out here. The bite's down, you know, and then there's other years. People can remember some famous years on certain fisheries in this state where the bite was incredible because there's not a ton of the forage that's available. So we're moving up into the fall. Uh, they're definitely keying in on those prey items. They've been, they've been knocking them back for a few months. So they're not quite as prevalent as they were right out of the gate. And now it's a, that, that whole wide world to explore again, because they can occupy the entirety of the lake. Um, those forage can move out and Hey, you know what, if you're putting the bait in the right place at the right time, uh, those, those, uh, predators are, are as likely to bite on your, on your lure as anything. So it gets good again. It absolutely does. This episode of the JMO podcast is brought to you by the CT360 made by Brew City. The CT360 is a heavy-duty, low-profile, very versatile pole mounting system made specifically for operating forward-facing sonar. This is a very durable product made out of high-quality materials, very versatile and easy to use as well as easy to install. It can be incorporated onto a rail system or a track or just attached directly to the gunnel if you know exactly where you want it to be. For more information on Brew City's CT360 pole mounting system, head to the link in the description of this podcast. That is brewcitytms.com. If you want to enjoy all the abundant fishing and hunting opportunities that Northeast South Dakota has to offer, there's no better place to stay than at Roy Lake State Park. Come shoot your limit of ducks or pheasants, then hit the lake and catch you a limit of walleyes all in a day. Roy Lake State Park provides both modern cabins and suites with all the comforts of home at a reasonable price. Go to GoOutdoorSouthDakota.com to reserve your fall hunting and fishing destination. This podcast is brought to you by Northland Fishing Tackle. Northland is a brand you can trust. Since the beginning, they've been creating innovative lure designs made of high-quality components. Most importantly, when you buy fishing tackle that says Northland on the package, you can rest assured it is designed for one thing and one thing only, and that is catching fish. To check out more of what they got, head to their website, northlandtackle.com. That link is in the description of this podcast. I mean, because that's the thing is like, it's always a combination. There's always different elements and everybody's lake might set up a little bit different, but definitely, you know, we're talking some pretty big ticket items in general that are pretty much true across the board. But like, that's the way I picture it. Like I said before, it's like in the summertime, especially like late summer, you know, coming into this fall, into these fall bites, it's like, I definitely fish like, you know, like on Sakakawea, right? It's a reservoir uh, smelt smelt forage base um and when you know on high water years when the smelt has a good spot there's so much food in the system and this summer i experienced it plenty of times where some of the areas i was fishing in the you know the bait it's there's so much bait like it's 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 
it's wild to just imagine how many millions and billions of pounds of bait is down there and you can see the fish and I just, I, I, I wonder why I even fish. It's like, what, what reason do they have to bite my lure no matter how well I present it? You know, they're full, like they swim with their mouth open. It's like, you know, all the, you know, talking about the thermocline, talking about the conditions in the water really sort of sets up those zones of where those, those, the, the prey items are going to be. They're like in a pen. It's like they're fenced in and, you know, the walleyes or whatever species, you know, I'm thinking walleyes in my head, like they can literally swim with their mouth open, right? Then in the fall, it's, so I guess then the question, I guess what I'm leading to is like, does it, you know, if they put the fall feedback on, everybody talks about the fall feedback. Are the fishes, is the metabolism changing that drastically? Is their appetite that much different? Or is it just an opportunity because, you know, uh, the bait can now occupy more of the water column. They can spread out. These fish actually have to work for a living now. And so they become sort of vulnerable to us. They show up on our electronics um, and they bite. Is, is it because they're experiencing something uh, you, know, you know, in their metabolism? Or is it just, you know, or is it more so like, do we realize like that they just have to go out and chase down a meal now and that's our opportunity to intersect them? Right. That's great, great line of questioning. And you've hit on a couple of, of themes that are important in the, in the fall. I do hope that people have some of those experiences that, that help you. They really humble you, I would say. You know, you talked about those, the Kakawea smelt runs. I, I had an experience just a few weeks ago up on Lake Bemidji uh, doing some walleye fishing up there. Uh, I was out with, with Nick Linder and we're, we're playing around with his, uh, with his live scope. And you can literally see these clouds of yellow perch and then almost like perfectly three foot buffered around that where individual predator fish, which we found to be walleyes and northern pike cruising through there. And guess what? It was a darn tough bite. We caught a few fish, but it was darn tough, even though we could see exactly uh, where those walleye and pike were. Um, it was really challenging to, to trigger bites in the midst of, of all that, of all that food. And that was on a lake that was starting to move towards, uh, fall turnover. That was, uh, um, you know, a lot of fish pushing up shallow and, and settling into those fall periods. And, and I just remember, uh, lifting our jigs up towards the boat and li- literally looking down in the water and just seeing these clouds of perch that were trailing, you know, nipping at your jig. It's like, that, that really puts it into perspective for you just how, productive uh those lakes can be and and how well fed some of those predators can be and you do get you do get these these prey opportunities you do you do see you know there's a fall element to the forage patterns as well you talked about the smelt um gizzard shed i see as a big one in our in our river systems and there's not a ton of lakes that have them they typically have a a river connection or a backwater or that sort of thing uh, but gizzard shad, you know, they, they start to, to die off when you go through rapid temperature changes and they're, they're just not the hardiest of fish. They usually have high annual mortality. They don't live more than three, four years anyways. So you see a lot of those start to die off and become a big part of the diet. You, you hear all over and you see it on social media, the run of emerald shiners in the rainy river, right? Folks, uh, take pictures and video of that. And that's, that's, that's an, that's a real thing, right? There's this fall run of those fish and they absolutely suck in, uh, predators. They absolutely do. Um, 
a big one for musky anglers and pike anglers. Uh, and this is more of a late fall pattern, but we get into November. That is one species that is a fall spawner, the Cisco, right? Cisco's are tulipies. And, you know, two years ago, Minnesota's uh, state record muskie was broken. Uh, Nolan Sprengler caught the fish up on Mille Lacs, you know, working reefs with a Cisco imitation, you know, looking at places where these huge uh, clouds of, of, of Cisco's were coming into spawn. And you know, those big pike and muskies are going to be following them in. So keying in on those prey items, tracking those this time of year is a, is a pretty darn important thing. And then there's that, that, that intersection of metabolism that you were, you were asking about in the question, which is, this is how I explain to, to folks is think about all of our fish having different thermal requirements, different temperature requirements. We've got warm water fish species like largemouth and smallmouth bass and bluegills. We've got cold water species like lake trout, burbot. We have cool water species like walleye uh, and northern pike. And if we look at the complete range of temperature suitability, you know, it, it's it's pretty wide and, and they're meeting their their, their, their temperature requirements, you know, that's, that's what's ultimately setting up where they, where their native range exists to, right. And what water bodies they exist in, but inside that complete temperature range is like this optimal range, right? It's where in, where they really, really are high functioning uh, metabolically and doing their best. And a lot of times when we start to cool off, we're entering that point. So all of that is to say that, yeah, they absolutely, there is truth to them putting on the feed bag because it's at their optimum temperature. It's settling into that small window where they want to feed like crazy and, and, uh, and, and do well. So it's, it's kind of that intersection of the two. It's settling into that optimum temperature range, really being in a metabolic sweet spot and just knowing that you've got concentrated prey items or you have that availability. And that, that, those are, I think, a couple of the ingredients that, when we do hear all these amazing tales of awesome fall fishing, there's a, there's a ton of truth to it for that reason, just being in a great metabolic zone and having great prey avail- availability. And then from our angling perspectives, like you hit on Taylor, right? Everybody's at home watching football or they're sitting in the deer stand or, you know, taking the kids to the pumpkin patch. So you don't have to deal with uh, a boat, uh, an access full of boats situationally have you ever you know it, it, whether it's just fishing yourself i know you like to fish t- people that you talk to um things that you do uh, work related like are there any fun stories or anything any learning lessons when it comes to like that fall turnover examples um you know or something situational that was maybe interesting to you or or are there any you know things that maybe are unique or water bodies that you find to be unique um, that maybe do things a little differently as it pertains to the fall turnover, like anything along those lines? You know, um, I'm trying to think of some good examples. I know uh, a, a really interesting uh, aquatic organism that you will not commonly see kind of uh, in the in the, the world of, of plants uh, are called bryophytes. And they're, they're these organ. Sometimes people will see them attached to their docks. Um, a lot of times they'll be anchored to the bottom of lakes. I get more calls and more emails from people that send pictures of these bryophytes because they look like alien egg sacs. 
uh, that that wash up after fall turnover because they get dislodged in that in that action um, in that turnover action in that flipping. Uh, that that's one that sticks out in my mind is you get a lot of people that report those those bryophytes uh, showing up and they otherwise may not see them at other times of the year. You know, from the angling side, yeah, it's just uh, it, it can be a tough bite during that turnover event, but. Uh, you just sort of set in, settle into that picture or into that fishing opportunity before and after. The the big one to me that I'll remember from my personal fishing experiences, and this isn't necessarily relegated to fall, you know, fall activities or fall turnover, but flow, right? Like shoulder seasons, and every angler knows flow is 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 usually a concentrator for fish. But man, you know, we spring rains, fall rains, it just seemed to be dynamite. You know, we think about the water cycle in the summertime. And when it rains, we've got a, a, a vibrant, uh, you know, <laughs> we've got a vibrant plant community uh, that's that's soaking up most of that water. Um, unless you get a really heavy rain, there a lot of it gets picked up, and you may not have a lot of runoff or contribution to some of those uh, streams. It, it may get utilized, so it, it kind of gets dampened. Uh, um, bad way to put it, maybe, but you just don't see as much of that water you know, run back into the lake in, in a really serious surge. That's not the case in the spring and the fall. And I've had just fantastic fishing, you know, with, with after these fall rains where that just sticks out in my mind where we were, you know, seeing prey items uh, that were being flushed into a lake and having a lot of water moving and really having dynamite fishing. So that's not rocket science exactly for anglers, uh, you know, getting onto a, a flow bite, but, uh, you know, just another thing, if you're really struggling out there and, and fall turnovers hit the lake hard, if you happen to get a seasonal rain, you know, jump on it. You know, the post frontal is typically difficult fishing, say in yes. the summertime, um, you know, early summer, you know, expectations are high, uh, you know, coming out of that post spawn for, you know, th- thinking walleyes or, or any species, but it's like, you know, post front high pressure, um, North winds, whatever, like, wide open skies, like, like post frontal, you know, I've done podcasts, uh, you know, about how to fish when it's tough post frontal in the summertime, but in the fall, it seems like those cold fronts, you know, that's a real takeaway for me is that those cold fronts are a lot of times providing opportunity. They're, they're triggering something to get us to the next step of all these patterns that we're talking about. And I think that, that, uh, that is a great point where your mentality in the fall can be, you know, just it, those things kind of change a little bit. Some of that philosophy definitely, um, definitely can change a little bit. Now, no, that's great stuff, man. I appreciate that a whole bunch. Anything else that we got to cover? We, you know, we, um, we got a couple other topics here that we were going to try to get to if we could. Um, but uh, anything about turnover that we should be hitting on right here during this conversation? No, I, I, I mean, as, as if people can understand the root mechanism and think about, what they're seeing on their graph, putting that piece of the puzzle together a little bit. Um, you know, just, just any, as you put it so eloquently, any, any additional information that is helping you solve the, the, the picture, put it all together, um, that that's going to be useful. So that that's the, really the best piece of advice I can have. And, you know, it might, it may come across as real, uh, uh, not a deep take or, 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 um, you know, for the hardcore angler, maybe they're not thinking about this, but I just, I just get a charge when I think about fall fishing, to be honest, I, I think about just the beautiful landscapes. I mean, it's, 
you, you you're always going to remember some of those photos that you take of holding the fish up and having these gorgeous colors in the background or or uh you know just a beautiful a beautiful sky behind you and just just the amazing scenery that you see so don't uh don't don't take that for granted it's uh it's an awesome time to be out there next topic we we you briefly were updating me on some things you were up to work related before this conversation it's like well you know what we should talk about that in the podcast so we kind of put it on hold and what you guys are up to over there at uh you know Minnesota DNR um talk to me about that fill me in uh or fill us all in on what you were uh, talking about me before we started recording yeah absolutely this is the time of year for folks to really get after it or stocking of walleye fingerlings so when we think about how lakes are managed in minnesota and walleye are the state fish uh they're stocked in a few different uh life stages and the two predominant life stages that are used and stocked are fry where we're hatching these fish out in uh state fish hatcheries and immediately after they're out of the egg we're loading them up and taking them uh, to their receiving waters there that requires little care on our part the expenses are are cheap they use up the yolk sac and they're ready to go into their systems and that is a very effective way to have the economy of scale right you can put hundreds of thousands to millions of fry into these lakes without a lot of expense and it works well in many places if they have the right sort of conditions you know if we have uh, uh, herbid waters where, you know, pre- site predators may not be able to key in on them. If, if the fish community doesn't have, uh, uh, <laughs> if, if there aren't a, a prevalence of, of, of those site predators that can suck them up, or maybe we've identified a lake where there's just a bottleneck, right? We, we just can't seem to get enough natural reproduction to keep the population going. You may want to stock some fry in there. there there's a lot of, I mean, we, I can't get into all the exact, uh, specifics of when we would choose fry over other life stages, but th- that's a few examples. Uh, on the flip side of that, another life stage that can be selected for stocking of walleyes are fingerlings. So again, maybe you are concerned as a resource manager that you just can't get those fish, those fry past a, a horde of, uh, of, of you know, maybe the lake is teeming with lots of little crappies or something that uh, you're worried could could eat up all your fry or you know, you've 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 attempted it in the past, and the fry didn't didn't take well, or you've had a good return on investment when you have put fingerlings in. Um, there are places where where these fingerlings do work well, and there is some amount of work and effort. You don't get the economy of scale because we're talking about hundreds and thousands of fish instead of hundreds of thousands and millions of fish, right? There's an order of magnitude or two difference there. Uh, but nevertheless, there are some of these systems where fingerling stocking can be useful, can be effective, can give you uh, a fair fishing opportunity or at a minimum, a, at least a token fishing opportunity of a low level of abundance. At least people can go out and catch a walleye from time to time. And that may be important in some lakes across the state. So when we look at Minnesota, we uh, we may have around 80,000, I believe, pound quota for fingerlings. We've got some private aquaculture that helps contribute to the effort. If people purchase uh, the voluntary walleye stamp, those funds are going towards those private aquaculture purchases. So we've got this nice kind of working situation where private aquaculture is, is, is collecting fingerlings for stocking quotas. And then some of those DNR 
uh, fish specialists and technicians and staff, laborers, everybody are out and about uh, collecting these fish. So what folks need to understand is across Minnesota, we've got lots of natural uh, wetland basins. Uh, usually they're smaller lakes. They might be marshes. Uh, that will get used to raise these walleyes. So we'll stick them in as fry. We'll give them a full growing season from around April till now in October or even September. Once that growing season's kind of come to an end right around now, we can go in, we can set nets, catch as many fish uh, as we can, and load them up, truck them out to where these uh, lakes are that are part of the quota, and get them stocked out. And uh, I really see it uh, as kind of a win-win when I talk to uh, folks that, you know, if they're, they're on, if the ponds, if the rearing ponds are on private property or many cases, they're, they're lakes that have infrequent winter kill. And what I see it as, is a win-win situation is one, when we remove those fish as fingerlings at the end of their first growing season, or we take them out, in some cases, people have a need for yearlings after their second growing season, we're meeting those stocking quotas. But the, the silver lining that I see in many instances is we never get all of those walleyes out and they stay and they persist and they provide angling opportunities for folks as they survive to be two-year-olds and three-year-olds and sometimes even four-year-olds or even later, depending on how long you go between winter kills. So uh, we actually see, particularly in Southern Minnesota where I work, we actually see some amazing walleye fisheries that materialize in these rearing ponds and we absolutely encourage it in the ones that have public access uh, so that's one of the things that we're doing right now we've got crews uh, working hard to to serve anglers to try to uh, meet those stocking quotas we'll continue through the fall i know as of today middle october we've eclipsed uh, the halfway mark but the fish are coming in pretty nicely and i know we'll continue it uh, probably through the middle of November. So we've got another good three, four weeks ahead of ice up that we'll continue to, to work on completing that stocking quota. Man, anything else, anything else that we got to talk about along the lines of this fall fishing and things that, you know, you guys are up to at work and other interesting takes when it comes to fall fishing. Um, because I probably, uh, Next time I have you on, it'll either be ice fishing this year or it'll be something. I mean, it's going to be a whole year before we talk about fall again. So anything else that we got to fit in? You know, it's it's just being mindful of all the great opportunities that are out there. I mean, we talked about this, you know, the, people wait, uh, wait for this time of year for the exceptional fishing. You know, the folks I know that do bass fishing save their vacation time for the fall to get out. When those bass, particularly largemouth, smallmouth too, are moving up shallow, uh, putting that feed bag on. I know, again, our, I can point to a lot of state records. I mean, I talked about the musky one that was broken in 2021, but think back to Mark Raveling catching Minnesota state record largemouth bass. I mean, he was he knew the pattern was move up shallow, find these individual large fish, target them. Um, and that's where our state record largemouth, uh, it was, you know, a Carver County small lake. And we, that, that is the pattern for a lot of folks is, is working, uh, working shallow again, hitting weed lines, uh, where they're just, you know, going to town on bait fish. Uh, if it's, you know, looking at, uh, the muskies that are doing this, the, the, uh, following the Cisco's into spawn in November, um, you know, our, our lake trout seasons do close because that's another fall spawning fish, but boy, it really gets 
fantastic uh, ramping up to the to the closure period where lake trail fishing is really good. If you fish on Lake Superior, you get a fall run of pink salmon of uh, you know, not so much in Minnesota as much in Wisconsin uh, on Cohos and Chinooks. Again, uh, you know, that's usually based on our latitude. That's a September, October thing. So um, everywhere you look, even even just dynamite crappie patterns, right? They're starting to really group up, make these really big schools, start moving adjacent to wintering holes, moving out to deeper water, getting on deep vegetation edges, looking for green weeds. It, it's really good, but that's also a, a, a teachable moment too of, hey, you know, they're often concentrated in deep water just like they are in the winter and being mindful of barrow trauma if you're taking them out of deep water, you know, limiting what you're going to fish for. And if you are catching those fish that you're going to harvest what you take and kind of limit yourself. But there's a pattern to put together for every species that that it can be pretty darn good uh, for, for a lot of them. And uh, just, just, you know, keeping that in mind, lake sturgeon. I mean, that's that's my most recent time out in the boat here a little over a week ago was uh, taking my da- daughters after lake sturgeon. Again, chasing around uh, uh, schools of gizzard shad and trying to collect some of those and putting those on the bottom and, and, and you know, getting the memory of my youngest catching her first uh, lake sturgeon. So there's a fall pattern for everything. There's a lot of fun to be had. And, you know, the more you think about uh, – how at least the lakes are are operating, um, river systems too, but really keying in on what's driving these fish, what's happening in their environment, how are they dealing with this fall season of change? It really makes a, a, a makes it fun, you know, the discovery piece of putting it all together and, and the fun and the, the exciting and amazing fishing you can have. So yeah, it's fun to get out there and, and just encourage people to do so. I say, I think we've wrapped it up. We got a good fall conversation with with you, Scott. We're talking about uh, the sciencey stuff, man. That definitely you know pieces to the puzzle that a lot of us um, you know need to be more mindful of and, and need to be reminded of and or just have it explained for the first time. It's going to help us be a little bit better, a little bit more educated. That's always a good thing. And and hearing about the things that you like and that make you tick. I like that stuff too, man. I appreciate it. So anything else, any, anything that you got to promote, uh, your socials, if anybody ever had any questions for you, any, uh, sort of lifelines that you can put out there, any shout outs, uh, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, happy to answer any questions that, uh, folks have, uh, we're happy to serve you You and talk about wearing the hat of working for department of natural resources. Definitely. Uh, um, you know, happy at any time. If you hit us up, hutchinson.fisheries at state.mn.us, you can send questions there. I'm happy to field those. And uh, yeah, if people are interested, you know, just uh, that's that's the work side. The the other side where I'm, you know, writing and, and doing my own thing, moonlighting off on my own. Uh, you can find my socials. Scott.MockingTuna uh, is my Instagram and uh, you can find me on Facebook as well. So happy to happy to visit with anybody that ever wants to talk fishing yeah man you must be open uh, open to talking fishing with anybody if you'll answer my calls because uh <laughs> yeah i can be pretty exhausting for a lot of people so i appreciate you scott and uh yeah dude we can i can let you go for real this time and um uh, yeah man we'll be in touch all right thanks a lot taylor good talking with you